time. Good morning. Thank you. It's good to be with you. If you have your Bibles with you, it's always a good idea here at The Rock to have a Bible, whether it's a printed version uh, on your phone or on a tablet. That'd be great. We're in 1 Timothy, uh, still in chapter 1. We're going to be reading the next section of that this morning. So yeah, this is a series, as I said last week, that proposed to the elders back in April, May uh, this year that, hey, this would maybe be a good idea from September through June, which is kind of like a season in a church. Let's go through what are called the pastoral epistles. Um, they're called pastoral epistles because Paul uh, is writing to two young men in, his, in, in the faith that he has kind of raised up, he's discipled, he's mentored, and he's placed them in pastoral roles at very young ages in very challenging churches and cities. And so he's writing these letters to them, as we'll see today, in response to letters that he's getting from them to help them, to help them with challenges and struggles that they're having, and, uh, but also to help them with questions. But okay, <laughs> the church is going, well, what are we supposed to do? I mean, they have an idea, right? Because they've seen churches planted. They've seen the church gathering for the apostles' doctrine, which is the preaching of the word, fellowship with each other, breaking of bread, which is communion, and praying together. They, they've seen that, but there's still questions. Not only do the pastors have questions, but the people have questions, right? No? You guys have no questions, right? You get it all? Okay, good. We're so... Today, what we're going to see is Paul abruptly stops in the letter. Commentators look at this and they go, did he just drop this in? No, there's a significant, obvious change. And I believe the reason why we're going to see that today is he, he understands something. Young Timothy, who's probably 29, 30 years of age, the pastor of the church, is struggling. He's struggling. And so he writes this to him, beginning in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He's not finished. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they, might, they may learn not to blaspheme. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you once again. Thank you for this day. Thank you we get to come here and sing praises to you. Uh, Thank you we get to declare grace alone. (laughs) What a song that declares that it's only by your grace that we are saved. And I'm thankful for that, Lord, because it's not about what I have to do to somehow make myself better and acceptable to you. You've done it all. You've invited us based on what Jesus did on the cross and in our place. 
and for our sins. Thankful also, Lord, for the Apostle Paul, for his testimony here this morning, that he's writing and sharing with Timothy for good reason. And I thank you also, Lord, just for the, the, the words of this pastor, shepherd, apostle, to a young man in the faith. I'm happy to hear these things, and I hope we are all too. So, Lord, we ask your blessing upon us today for the kids upstairs as they stomp around and they enjoy hearing about you, Lord Jesus, from their teachers. Bless them and pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just bless us now as we look at this word this morning to see what you have to say to us and how you want to speak to our hearts. And I pray this in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So, uh, growing up in Toronto, which is where I grew up many years ago, some of you know that, many of you probably, um, in what at that time was very much blue collar. My dad was a construction worker, a bricklayer by trade. Uh, I say at that time was blue collar. Today, when I go home to Toronto, which is not very often, mom and dad have passed, and so I don't get to go back there because I'm no longer in my business life either. But uh, the house that I grew up in has actually been torn down, and now most of the cars on that street are either Beamers or Teslas. Okay, It's like multi-million dollar homes. Uh, mom and dad bought that house for $14,000 in 1955 just before I was born. But there was a routine that happened almost every day, certainly Monday to Friday in our home, that was just really an amazing routine. My dad would come home from work, and mom and dad would get settled in the the living room up front on on the the two chairs that they had for each other that mom, of course, since they were brand new and they were really precious to her, had them covered in plastic. Okay, this is how old we are, right? Some of you are smiling. You get it, right? But then what happened was a really interesting routine. I loved it. Mom and dad would get the Toronto Star newspaper, and the Telegram, which is no longer business, and they would, they would read those papers every night. I mean, that's how, that was how it was done back there, by, by the way, in that time. So what, what, what do you think would be the, the section that my dad went to first? Yeah. Fashion? No. Uh, sports, right? Well, mom, not so much. She, she would just go, Tom, I don't want the sports, okay? And so, but mom's favorite sections were, and it's just, they were her favorite sections, were lifestyle um, and, of course, entertainment. She just loved those. But one of the main reasons why she loved lifestyle is because back in the day, there were two uh, women who started on um, uh, advice columns in the newspapers, and they became syndicated. One was called Ann Landers. Anybody? <laughs> yeah, I, I, know, I know some of you know these. Ann Landers, and the other one is Dear Abby. Right? And, and so and even to this day, people, Ann Landers passed away. Well, the woman who wrote Ann Landers, that was a, a pseudonym name for her. Um, she's passed away, and when she passed away, she wanted it that the column would end. Well, not Dear Abby. It continues to go today in newspapers syndicated nationally. Interesting statistic, 2016 anyway. 100 and million readers. 190 million, pardon me, readers in 2016 alone. So very popular. Now, what, what had happened, it was mostly, uh, back in the day anyway, it was mostly women who were the audience, but then men would, like, I remember going to it, what are they writing in about, right? And it was curious, right? And so men and women would be writing in and asking their question of Ann Landers or Dear Abby. And typically the questions, the subjects today were, I mean, the same as today would be, and they are, and typically they were about, yep, sex, marriage, I mean, relationships in general, parenting, careers, I mean, you name it. It was all about life, right? And people would be asking their questions. Typically, both Ann Landers and, uh, and uh, Dear Abby, I think back in the day, people today would call them kind of prudish, right? I mean, the, most of their advice was, was very moral and ethical. Um, it kind of changed over the years, though, as certain pressures came upon them. Go figure. 
right? And they would respond to people, and, and, and they would really try to encourage people. And it usually also was with a little bit of wit and charm, and Ann Landers was known for a little bit of sarcasm every once in a while, too, especially to questions asked by men. <laughs> so today, I would suggest to you, obviously, not too many of us read newspapers and read those columns, right? But the need to seek advice today has probably grown exponentially, even from those days. Of course, today we have, of course, professional people who, like psychologists, as we can go to, we can, we can go online and find out who they are. Of course, we've got Google, right? And Google, like there's like a billion questions a day asked of Google, and we get some advice there. Anybody heard of chat, GPT? I mean, you can go there too. It's actually, I think it's actually a helpful device, but there's a frightening aspect of it you may not know. People are going to chat GPT and asking life altering questions of ChatGPT. So I mention this today because sometimes what I think uh, we might miss about the Bible, you can read it, open it up and go, what actually is going on here? <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, sometimes I like to go, it's 2,000 years old. I mean, how relevant can it be to today? Well, sometimes we might forget this, and it's true of this, is that Paul wrote almost all of his letters, especially First and Second Timothy and Titus, to these young men and sometimes churches, for example, the church in Ephesus or Corinth, whatever, in response to letters that he was getting from them. Almost every word in the, is him responding to something that he got either from Timothy or from a visitor uh, visiting Paul in Rome or wherever he was at the time who had been with Timothy and says, hey, Timothy's struggling with this or whatever. And so we know... We know that Timothy, at this point, is actually writing this letter and Second Timothy, oftentimes saying, Paul, help. Help me, man. Like, I mean, like, he's struggling. And that's why Paul is writing to him, and I believe that's why uh, he's writing this particular text and why he switches from what we saw last week. Yeah, by the way, Timothy, yes, I know there's false teachers in Ephesus. Get in their face. Call them out, right? And by the way, guard the good deposit. Preach the word. Come on. That's how he starts. Now he changes his tack. He's also going to, we're going to see in chapter 5, I mean, he's giving lots of advice. In chapter 5, he actually gives Timothy some health advice, like literally health advice, because Timothy has written to him and said, I'm having problems with my stomach. Anybody remember what he he wrote to Timothy in chapter 5? I'm not going to put it on screen for you. But yeah, he said, he actually said this, Timothy... It was a medical condition, so he said to Timothy, have a little wine for your stomach's sake. Now, a lot of people like to go to that passage and go, yeah, it's okay to drink. <laughs> it is, but please note the word little. It's at one point medicinal, and at the next point, not so much. But he does give that kind of advice, and it's an answer to a question. But I, I would also ask, okay, well, why is Timothy having stomach problems? What, what do you think? Anxiety, stress, pressure, could be. We don't know, but Paul gives him that advice. So at this point in his response to Timothy's letters, he's very much aware that, look, Timothy is under pressure. He knows. He knows that he's under pressure. The toll is, that it's taking on him, he's also aware of. And he knows that he's already dropped a lot. I mean, he, he discipled him for a long time. He put him there. He warned him four years earlier and the elders there that, by the way, as soon as I leave, false teachers are going to come in. Four years later, Timothy's writing to him, they're here. 
So he knows what he's under. And, and what he starts off with, as you're going to see, is he starts off by saying, I understand. Isn't it good to have a friend who can just actually come to you and say, hey, you know, you know like, I, I empathize with you. Mm. Or I, no, I understand. And Timothy knew that Paul, when he said that, meant it because Paul, <laughs> Paul suffered great persecution, as we will see. And so he, he writes that. So besides what's going on inside the church, Paul also knows that Ephesus, well, it, it was like you think today for Christians that like it's a little bit difficult to be a Christian in our world and culture today? <laughs> I'm going to put it this way. Come on, Snowflake. I mean, yeah, it, no, it can be challenging, sure. But it was unhealthy to be a Christian in Ephesus in those days. The, the, the local, there's a passage, I think it's in Acts 16, I'm guessing now, but, uh, where we, we read about in Ephesus that some of the Ephesian merchants, pagan Gentile merchants, who were selling silver little statues, you know, to, that you take home and you would worship these gods, right, in their homes, and, and all of a sudden their sales started going down. Why did their sales start going down? Because of the Christians. A, the Christians are not buying them anymore. But B, the Christians are telling other people in the culture, that, that's, a, that's an idol. That's not Jesus. That's, and sales were suffering. And Christians were being persecuted for that. Well, there were a lot of other reasons why that was going on in that day. Um, I mean, the emperor Nero, right around this time that this letter is being written to Timothy, over the next three to four years, Nero is going to start making it very dangerous to be a Christian. He's going to put you to death. You're going to have a choice, Christian, in Ephesus. Declare Caesar as God and your fidelity and loyalty to him or your Jesus. It's real. It's real. And it happened. It happened. They were persecuted and they were put to death. So it's quite understandable. I have stress as a pastor from time to time. This is nothing like this. It's understandable that Timothy is full of anxiety and stressing. And so taking that all into consideration, Paul abruptly changes his tact. I I think it's almost maybe probable like the Holy Spirit said to him, Paul, (laughs) come on. You know, you've given him all this doctrine and all this teaching. Paul, he's struggling. He's struggling. You know what it's like. What he needs now before you go any further is this. Paul, he needs some encouragement. And he needs it in the form of strengthening. So how's Paul going to do that? Well, let's read our first first and a half for today. They'll be on screen for you. Paul writes and says this. <laughs> what happened? Oh, you need, she needs my finger for the... It's, anyway, it'll... <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. I love technology. We've had a few hiccups this morning, so it's great. Um, We'll make sure we get it plugged back in and uh, get the verses up on screen once we get there. I'll read it anyway, and, and uh, Lydia will figure it out. <laughs> Paul writes this. <clears throat> I, think, I thank him, Jesus, who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formally I was a blasphemer a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. And so I hope you can see and, and hear in these words that, I mean, this is, this is Paul, the real tough Paul. He was. But this is also the pastor, shepherd, apostle, father to Timothy uh, in, in, in the faith anyway. 
It's full, full display in just his first few words. I, I sense that if, if you or I were Timothy, uh, when we read, I thank him who has given me strength, that right there, Timothy would be hearing, Timothy, I sense from your letters. I do sense from your letters. And maybe after what I've just charged you with, with that you are maybe even more full of anxiety because of what I've just said, or you are struggling. So Timothy's assignment is a tough one. What's Paul's solution in writing this? Well, first of all, he says he's thankful for the fact that when he struggles, when Paul himself struggles, when he is feeling weak and downtrodden, it is the Lord who has given him strength. I love this. And notice he's not saying here, he's not saying that when he experienced opposition to the gospel, which he, re- he experienced all the time, opposition to the gospel, gospel, that his first thoughts were, like some pastor's thoughts can be, well, okay, you know what I got to do? I got to toughen up a little bit. I got to grow a thicker skin. I, I got to, you know, not worry about criticism. I got to, I got to, I just got to work harder. I got to do better. I got to preach better sermons. Obviously, something in my delivery and the way I'm doing this is not working. It's not what he says. That would have been him looking to himself and, and also maybe trying to give Timothy some real good secular advice, but he's not doing that. He's giving him what? The good news. <laughs> There's good news here. No. Instead, he looks and points to Christ, to Jesus. And so see the words here, who has given. This is... Past perfect tense. He has given me. He always gives it to me. When I'm struggling, when I am in trouble, when I don't know what to do, I go to him and every time he gives me strength. He gives me that encouragement. And so there's the sense that he's thankful for the fact that Jesus is always there. That's the first thing that he points out. So to start then, what's people do? what's Paul actually doing here? What's he actually doing, even in the very beginning here with with Timothy? Well, like I said last Sunday, 10 years earlier when his mother and grandmother said to Paul when Timothy was around 19 years of age, hey, you know what, he's a good young man, but he could learn a lot from you. You take him and, and you mentor him. And so Paul did. And what did he do? He took him on a journey and he showed him for eight to nine years what good ministry looked like. Pastors go to seminary today for four years and get inundated with a bunch of theology and a bunch of other stuff, and that's good. Timothy got eight to nine years of that from Paul, the apostle. Real-life experience along the way. I would have loved to have that. (laughs) I think you would too. So that's what he's doing. He's actually modeling what good ministry looks like. Now he's showing Timothy what dependence on the Lord looks like. Now, Timothy would have seen this. He would have seen Paul beaten, imprisoned. He would have always seen this, but, but now he's, he's showing him where he's going to get his source of strength from, where he's going to get it from. And so it's beautiful. Paul models for him and you and I, the key to the Christian life. And, and, and certainly ministry is one thing. And he's going to go on to show it even more. It's humility. I, 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 can't, I, I can't take any credit for anything that is good. It comes from him. It's humility. And so see this as well. He has spoken in the past tense 
how Christ has and does strengthen him. But it's also interesting here. He declares, he declares up front here anyway, in those words, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. He speaks in the presence tense about himself being faithful, appointing me to his service. It's really interesting that he's able to say that now about his identity. So it's healthy because he's now seeing himself as a saved man by Christ, and he's seeing his identity and his true identity. And so he's saying he's continually strengthening me, and I thank him for that, and I thank him that he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. And so it's huge. It's true, but only because, look, it's true. It's all true. And if you're in Christ today, you can say those words too, but it's only true because of what Paul says next. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent of what? Of Jesus. Wow. So, so hold on, Paul. <laughs> what you're saying uh, is, is it wasn't because of your impressive CV, right? Do you, do you know his resume, right? Paul was the, a Pharisee of the Pharisee. I mean, he was one of the most educated Jewish leaders in his day, young and really strong and really bold. He had multiple PhDs in all kinds of different areas, right? And, and he used that to raise himself up in the Jewish faith and also to go to the religious leaders and get him commissioned to go on the road to Damascus and arrest and eventually murder and kill Christians. <laughs> and so he, he doesn't, he doesn't talk about that at all, does he? It's, it's, it's a little bit like this. It's like, so no, Paul doesn't want to be seen that way. You, 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 it means like Jesus would say, oh man, I want a guy like that on my team. That's not what Paul's saying. What he wants us to see is, that, is this. And it's the same that holds through for you, Timothy, and for you, Christian, today. No, it's not, in, it's not about what I bring to the table. It's in spite of that. That's... Paul's writing this to Timothy while he's struggling to encourage him. So first, Paul states for Timothy to hear and to believe of himself as well, who he now is in Christ. Let's remember that. <laughs> that's, that's good. You need to know that and believe that because it's going to be helpful to, to you. You're a new creation. You're a new man. And because of that, because of what Jesus has done, because he, his sin has been judged, has been placed at the cross, his blood has covered it, you are now judged faithful and appointed and worthy of his service. And so it's, it's, again, important for me to note this for you. He's not saying he's appointed to some title or office. Hey, look, I'm an apostle. I'm important. No. He, he's been appointed to the service of Jesus Christ. And how did Jesus model being a servant? A servant of all. It's a humble servant heart. And so secondly, and this is key for Timothy to hear, secondly, Paul shares his testimony with Timothy. Like, it's like, Paul, is it, I haven't heard, have I heard that before? I've been on the road with you in Acts chapter 20, and you'll see it in your study guides, and it's put in there as a cross-reference reference for you to go look at his longer, like 18, 19 verse uh, exposition of his testimony, Luke recording it. That's pretty impressive. Actually, not so much. It's more detailed about who he is. But it's his testimony. And he's sharing it to Timothy again. He has a reason for that. 
Those three words are pretty key, blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. We can just run by them. But in, in the original language and to the original hearers, when they heard these words and read these words, and they know Paul, they also knew Paul was a murderer, by the way. He doesn't mention that here. That's kind of like what an insolent opponent is. But the, these words in the original language and when they heard it would have been describing the ultimate loser. It would be describing the kind of person that, well, no rabbi would pick a guy like that. Why would you choose someone like that? And so Paul, without hesitation, just lays out the truth of who he is or was. That's important. I have to be honest with you, I thought about this this week, so I put it in my notes, but I often laugh personally, and I'm also saddened, but I often laugh when I read the latest shenanigans of those who are imposing cancel culture on our world, right? I laugh personally, I just think it's kind of, it's not humorous, it's actually sad, right? They busy themselves looking into the pasts of mostly men, I'm going to point out to you, and, and they'll look into their pasts, and they, these are mostly men who've become icons and, and uh, heroes of, of people, and then they end up being people who have statues, or their names are on high schools and universities and all the rest of it. And then, of course, they busy themselves finding ways to find out something ugly in their past, and therefore having their name taken off the building, their statues brought down, and having them cancelled. Now, I, I, I laugh at that because I have to ask myself the question... Have you looked in the mirror? Have I looked in the mirror? I venture to say that if any of us were to go back, because I can go back into high school to some things that I said and did, and I'm glad I didn't have Facebook back then. You'd be going, what are you doing being our pastor? Right? See, here's the thing. I mean, why do I bring that up? Well, that's a good point, because you know what? I think what we'd have to do is we'd have to start looking at our Bibles and start tearing pages out. Paul? David. King David. Seriously. Do you know what he did? Do you know what he did? You you can hardly read anything in the Bible. It's one of the reasons why I say the Christian scriptures are the true God scriptures, is because it's just all laid out. There's virtually no character in here, in the Bible, that's recorded from front to back, who is perfect. Oh, excuse me. Who? One person. Christ. Christ. And so, yeah, it's so important. I mean, so why do I laugh? Well, again, you ever look in the mirror? Here, here's an interesting... Uh, thanks, Nick, for that little um, uh, point that you made this morning about hymns and so forth. Anyone heard of the song called Amazing Grace? That's a pretty good song, right? Did you know that the author of that song owned slaves? Now, he repented of that and actually had something to do with the abolition movement, but there are people in certain Christian circles who are saying, yeah, no, should not be playing that song anymore. I mean, so yeah, that's what I said. Scripture actually tells us clearly, look, there's none righteous. None of us are righteous. None of us today can. So Paul's telling his testimony, and he continues by saying this in verse 13b to 14. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in him, Christ Jesus. So so need to understand, Paul's not saying that uh, he uh, he received this great mercy because he was actually innocent of the charges. That would be a a big stretch, right? That's not what he's saying. 
But, but no, he's pointing to his previous condition before God and then pointing Timothy to what it was that changed him on that day on the road to Damascus. It was the grace of Jesus Christ that, look, overflowed. Um, again, in the original language, it, it has the connotation of drowned me in it, covered by his blood, drowned me in it, overflowed to me. It was an incredible sensation. It was powerful. There's no mistaking who it was. And it was that that then made him innocent and forever. And you too, if you're in Christ to Jesus here today. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. I love this verse. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. <sighs> I think it's easy for some of us sometimes to compare ourselves to the Apostle Paul and say, well, yeah, he was really terrible. Me, not so much. Like, bad, but not that bad. I I think we don't actually recognize what our sin looks like to God. Amen? So this is his confession of faith, of a man who was truly cut to the heart, who knew in an instant when, when he's on that road to Damascus, on his way to arrest Christians, to take them back to Jerusalem and have them put to death, he is like literally arrested, dropped on his face, blinded by the light, by Jesus, and he knows right then and there what's going on. He does. Because Jesus calls out to him and says, Saul, that was, was his name before it got changed to Paul, <laughs> So people wouldn't maybe remember the Saul guy, but no, it was everybody knew that. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But well, he was persecuting the church, right? Paul then uh, says to Jesus at that point, "Who are you, Lord?" Well, Jesus con- confirms it for him by saying, "I am Jesus, who you are persecuting." And now here, Paul is humbly able to say, as he's looking back at that, and as he's pointing again, Timothy, to that fact, he's humbly able to say that he was as bad as a sin, of a sinner as they come. It, it, it's, 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 he's proud of it? No. He's declaring it. He, he still struggles. Remember when we went through Romans 8? We had to go back into Romans 7 a little bit because we need the encouragement that Paul writes. He said he's he's 20 years in as a Christian. He's planted churches. He's guiding guys like Timothy and Titus and other people. And what does he say in Romans 7? He says, okay, just a little sidebar here. Man, just in case you're struggling as a Christian, let me just put it to you this way. I don't know. Like, I'm 20 years a Christian. I'm saved. I know. I'm innocent. All my sins have been forgiven. But, you know, I, I, I know what I should be doing today, and I don't do what I should be doing. But I also know what I shouldn't be doing, but I still struggle with doing it. Super humble. He realizes, he realizes that he's now good by, with Jesus and he's been called by him. He says in verse 16, But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, for an example for all of those people who would follow Pete, uh, Paul and all the rest of the people in the New Testament church and all of us eventually, they would look at the testimony of the life of the Apostle Paul and would say this, no one can be so far gone, so far down, so evil, so unlovable. 
because of what I've done that Jesus cannot redeem and restore. And, and, and you know what? Paul knows that's why Jesus saved a sinner like him. Wow. It's no wonder he immediately in verse 17 says, to the king of the ages, right? You know, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Let's have a coffee and go home. Not yet. What a benediction, right? He can't contain himself. And so he writes it. He writes it. So before we move on and conclude, let's review what Paul has done to encourage and strengthen Timothy. First, he acknowledges that he's struggling. He's told them that he too, Paul, struggles. I understand. I identify with you. I get it. Right? Then he points Timothy to his source of strength, who is Jesus Christ. And secondly, this is key for us to see today. By reminding Timothy of how and what Jesus has done for him, the foremost, the chief of all sinners, he's encouraging Timothy, by the way, when you're struggling and you're praying to Christ for strength, remember, remember how he saved you. Do you remember that day, Timothy? What happened? Was it when your, your mother or grandmother, Eunice or Lois, were teaching you the scriptures and, you know, and, and the Lord came upon you and you felt it and you knew it? and you confessed your sins, and you repented. I want you to remember that, Timothy. We, uh, we hold baptism classes, and we're going to hold one in a few weeks. One of the things we do in the baptism classes, besides teaching people what and why you want to be baptized, is, is we, we encourage young men and women to, or older too, who are being baptized, uh, to give their testimony uh, before we dunk them and, and baptize them in the water. Why do we do that? Well, because it's important to stand up in front of people and, and say, uh, so that the church knows that you are truly born again, that you're truly a believer because you give your testimony. We'll have it on screen. Here's the three questions that we act, uh, ask them to answer in their testimony. First is talk about in your testimony, like it's only going to be, we only want you to take five minutes, right? Seven minutes because it's going to be during a church service and we might have several. No. So what, first of all, we want, to, we want you to talk about before you came to Christ. Sometimes I have to say to people, because they tell me their testimony, I'm like, okay, we don't have to be like the Apostle Paul and get down and dirty here. Like, I mean, like, I was a sinner. I definitely know that. So before I came to Christ, and then how you came to Christ, how someone preached the gospel to you, someone came alongside of you, loved you, and discipled you, and, and, and then how that happened. But also, most importantly, really, now, most people should be baptized, by the way, after they have come to Christ, but people sometimes take a little time. But it's also part of your ongoing testimony is, okay, what about since you not came but came to Christ, right? That's important too. You know why? It, 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 should, it might be rocky, but the curve should look like this. We should be growing in Christ. And so it's about our personal testimony. It's really, really important. So my question for you today is, have you recalled this in your life lately? Have you really? Have you ever experienced it? You could. You can. Today. Christian, have you shared it lately? Lately. Like to me, lately is like in the last 30 days. Six months? A year? This text is trying to help you and I understand. We need to reflect on it more often. He goes on to say this. 
This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. Okay, so now he's definitely moving back and on target here. I've strengthened you. I've told you where you can go to get your strength. I'm trying to bless you and care for you. I'm giving you my testimony. You should share yours too. But listen, this is classic of what any good leader should be doing. Paul's passing the baton. Paul's been beaten within an inch of his life several times. He's been imprisoned several times. After he's written this letter and before he writes 2 Timothy, he will be in prison again, and he will write that letter from prison. He knows his days are numbered. He's passing the baton to a younger man in the faith and saying, it's okay, buddy. The gospel is in your hands. So Timothy, my son, he's saying it's your time. It's not up to you because you have the Lord, but you are one of those who I have spiritually fathered And I'm entrusting the good news of the gospel to you, to you. So listen, it's a a war, Timothy, I understand. It's a battle, but you have Christ. You have your brothers and sisters in Christ. Wage the good warfare. Just fight it. Fight it. Our passage concludes today with an interesting interjection. By rejecting this... Some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. won't spend much time on this because I want to end a very, I hope, encouraging message to you with an encouraging way of looking at all of this. But this is hard. This is tough. Paul names names, publicly read in the, in, in the church, publicly recorded in the scripture, of two men who he says by rejecting this. What did they reject? Did they reject their calling? Did they reject their anointing? I don't think so. Commentators don't think so either. What did they reject? The gospel. They were men who were in the church who people thought for the longest time were one of us, but they weren't. It's a classic case of what happens at the end of Matthew 18, which I know we all really love. Because it's so easy. No, it's not easy. It's really hard. But this is, this is putting them out of the church. That's what it means by giving them over to Satan. What that means is, not over so they're going to be tortured, but back into the world. Because the world is his domain. That's what that literally means. So as we conclude this morning, this morning, let me ask you this question. Important question. Application. Here we go. When you are struggling with whatever it may be, life is a struggle, let's be honest about it, and we also can be honest about this, same thing that Paul's saying to Timothy. Listen, it's not about, you know, when life is a struggle that, look, you've got to just suck it up. You know, you, you just got to work harder. Come on, be a better Christian. It, it, you know, like when you get to that point, when you get to that point in your life, where do you go for a solution? Who do you ask? Who do you go to? Do you go to Google? Chat GPT? please. Seriously, who do you go to? So friends, I hope that you've seen today who Timothy went to. He went to the man who had been discipling him, loving him like a father, training him up for 10 years. He went to him. I hope you see that. That is why I often ask many of you, and I'm going to ask it now, who's that person in your life. What more mature, and mature doesn't mean age, more mature in their faith and walk with Christ, man or woman, is the person that tomorrow when 
you're really down, you go to. And listen, you know, I, I know what it's like in the church today. I know what I could do sometimes. You know, I will go to the internet. I'll go to some author or, you know, podcaster or some guru or whatever it might be, and I might go there. The scripture is very, very clear. The idea is you go to someone, listen, who you know is further ahead in their maturity and their walk with Christ, whose testimony you actually know. And you know what? Someone who actually knows you. Oh, that's fun, right? That's the point. Someone who actually knows you and still loves Glenn? (laughs) That's the best person. That's the person. So let me also give you this advice on this subject. May I suggest that the person you look for, if you don't have someone like that right now, be someone like the Apostle Paul, and and in this way. They, of course, be, as I've said, a mature Christian, um, whose testimony you know, and they also be the kind of person that doesn't immediately start just talking about, well, let me just give you some good business advice. You know I could do that, right? Or good this or good that. No, they, it's constantly taking you to the word and pointing you to Christ and him to strengthen you in the word and what it says. That kind of person. That's who you should be going to. And then at the end of the day, it's that kind of person who says, you know what, I don't have all the answers. Duh. But I can point you to the person who does. His name is Christ. He's written a book, a collection of books. It's all here. It's all here. And so I'll just encourage you to do that today, but I'll also encourage you to do this. When someone else is doing that for you, go and do likewise. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you once again. We are so, I am so grateful, we're so grateful that we have this collection of 66 books. <laughs> And isn't it amazing that we can, we can read it today and we can, when we take time to actually think about what's going on here and, and why it's being written and why you, Holy Spirit, inspired it in the first place and why it's been recorded. And it's just so, I'm so thankful, Lord, that we have this. I have this. Because I don't know, Lord. I, well, I do know this. The world out there and the technologies of the world, they're helpful in some ways but not in this way. Not when it comes to our spiritual heart, to what we really, really, really need as men and women. And so I'm just thankful that we have your word. I'm thankful for each other here today. I'm thankful for men and women in our church family who are mature, who are faithful, and and are there to help someone who struggles. And so, Lord, I just pray that all of us would be brave enough, courageous enough to, yeah, to identify a man or a woman who we can go to and we can share our heart with. And I pray, Lord, that those men and women would be available. And then, Lord, I just pray that you, overall, would do, in the end, the work that we all need. And I know it's something you are more than capable of. So we thank you and we praise you. In your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.